What up, son? It's the tale of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. Tale of the tapes. Season two, episode five. Today we have Little Nation and Paris. Now, Little Nation also goes by the name CPO Boss Hog, and there was very little information on him, and what info I could find on him and his group, it was somewhat confusing, so bear with me. Also working with a busted office chair here today, so if I happen to wipe out, don't mind me. <laughs> okay, so Little Nation's up first. His debut solo album was in 1990. Birth name is Vincent Edwards, also known as Little Nation or CPO. Born September 9th, 1969 in Compton, California, United States. His genres are listed as hip-hop and gangster rap. And his years active are listed as 1989 to present. Now, I speak on this a little bit every week, but not only do I know of this guy having anything recently or anything like that, but... This guy hardly had anything at all. I, I, if I remember correctly, I believe he only had one album. Like I said, it was very hard to, to even really find information on him. So I'm not really sure if he particularly does anything anymore. You know, and it, it is actively involved in hip-hop in any way. But it's quite possible that as long as these people are alive and haven't officially announced a retirement, that we're probably going to get you know, a year's active, whatever, to present. So I, I don't know of him really being active any time in the past 25-plus years, really. So a little bit of background on Lil' Nation. Vincent Edwards, born September 9th, 1969, professionally known by his stage name CPO Boss Hog, is an American rapper from Compton, California. He began his career as a founding member of the hip-hop group Capital Punishment Organization in 1989 under the moniker Little Nation. The group released their only album before splitting up in 1991. Afterwards, Edwards continued his career as a solo artist featuring on several high-profile albums. Now, again, it, this obviously, when I'm, when I'm trying to speak in general, I'm, I'm speaking to the majority. Now, if you follow hip-hop very heavily, you probably do know who this dude is. If, you know, you kind of just like hip-hop and you like who you like and, and things like that, then you probably don't know who this guy is. But the reason that I'm saying that is because I just told you a minute ago that he only had one album and then I don't really know of him doing anything else. And then you, you hear right here in what I read to you that after that album, he continued on as a solo artist and was featured on several high-profile albums. Now, the thing is, he was. And if you do know this guy, even if the name or names don't sound familiar, it's very possible that you've heard this guy before. He's been on Tupac songs and, and stuff like that. So he did obviously continue to actually rap after that. But I don't know of any songs by him or any albums by him or anything like that. And like I said, ironically enough, if you do know of this guy, you probably know of him from being on somebody else's song. So... That played out how it played out. And now let's get into what I wrote down about Little Nation when I studied him. I had actually heard Little Nation rap before without even knowing what his name was from Tupac songs. Getting a solid read on Little Nation was very difficult. Within a very small body of work, he was all over the place. 
He had dope lines, terrible ones, multisyllabic rhymes, times he didn't rhyme at all, some bars with more than one or two rhymes, some run-on bars, etc. He seemed to have a bit of trouble with his flow at times, and although he occasionally had some decent lines, most of the stuff in between, he was reaching with weak lines and finished just below average lyrically. He only had one album, which was an average album. Of his 11 qualifying songs, none were great or even good, but one was weak. Between the limited music released, minimal fame on his name, and his only real influence seemingly being the Young Guns, his impact on hip-hop wasn't big. Again, with so little to go by, it was hard to get an accurate read on just how original he was as an artist, but from what I witnessed, he seemed to be around mediocre in this department. So let's get into the math of what I just read to you. Lyrics, he gets a four and a half, which like I said, that's just, just below average. Albums, he gets a 3.30 with no classics, as we spoke about just the one album. So, you know, that was all there was to work with. That was all there was to score, and that's what that came out to. Um, if you don't remember the formula, go back and listen to the intro. Songs, he gets a minus 0.91, which it's not super high, but it's pretty high because most times in these categories, you're seeing people definitely get at least below the one decimal point. So he's not in front of the decimal point, but he's right there. He's at a 0.91. The reason that I'm really pointing this out is he only had one weak song, which for most other artists, that would lead to them being minus 0.05 or something ridiculously small. You know, one weak song is nothing. I mean, anybody can have one of those songs where you know, even they listen back and they're like, ah, I wish I would have cut that one off the album or I wish I wouldn't have made that one. And, you know, maybe it was made for a certain reason and it just didn't, you know, after the hype was over with it, you, you sit down and you're like, ah, that, you know, that's really not a good song. But anyway, my point being is that he only had one week song, but he only had one album that was only 11 songs. So when you take the one out of the 11 songs, it, it comes out to a decent number. Impact, he gets a four... Now, I want you to keep things in perspective with these numbers again, because you're going to see people like myself and some other people that I know that, that qualify for the study. You may see an impact score of a two or, or something really low like that or, or a three. So I'm trying to keep everything in perspective here. This guy really had almost as little as you could have. If you take away the fact that this guy was on some Tupac songs, right? You would really put this guy in the same boat as me, I would say. I mean, I have I have four albums. This guy only had one album. He has 11 songs. I have over 100 songs that I've made. And I probably have close to about 70 songs that I've officially released, like on albums and stuff like that. So, no, I'm not on Tupac songs. No, I probably wasn't in the mix the way that, you know, to the level with the the same caliber of people as this guy was, for sure, I get that. But, again, if you take that away, if you take away the fact that he was on some Tupac songs and things like that, I mean, there's really very, very little information on the guy, which would kind of be the same case for me. You could certainly find information for me on the internet, but it wouldn't be on, like, Wikipedia and things like that. It would be on, on other external sites. But my point being that, you're seeing that he did very little, but you're still seeing a four, which seems kind of low. Or you're seeing somebody that did songs with Tupac, and you're saying he's only getting a four. 
So it has to be kind of explained both ways. You have to keep in mind that you have people in this study like Tupac, Jay-Z, Biggie, you know, guys that obviously had insane impacts on the game in so many more ways than one. So many people sampled them. So many people took lines from them. So many people took beats from them. They won 10, 20, however many awards. They broke records. Jay-Z, the first billionaire in hip-hop. Uh, just You could go on and on with some of the things that some of these top guys have done. And then you can go on the flip side of the coin and, and have somebody who just, you know, randomly made an album, you know, in their house or whatever the case is. And they just qualified for the study because it was good, but no one really even knows who this person is or, you know, maybe a couple of hundred people do and stuff like that, that you're obviously going to have to put underneath this guy. Because even though this guy only had the one album and things like that, he still did a little something as far as the industry was concerned. So I don't want to get too off track and, and talk about that. I've talked about it for long enough, but I just want to point out to, to keep the numbers in perspective. There's, there's a reason why people are getting certain numbers. Just remember how many people are so far ahead of them in that category or so far behind them. And that's why they're getting these numbers. Originality, he gets a five and a half. Like I said, it, it was, it's really tough to, to take something like that where, you know, there's really not music videos for these songs the way that there are nowadays. People release songs on YouTube and they always have like a video that comes with them or 90% of the time or whatever. You know, this is just 11 songs, no videos really, no other albums, no nothing. So, you know, unless he's like an ODB or, or somebody like that, that's extremely, extremely original. It's hard for you to really pick up in just one album with no visuals or no anything as to how original this guy really was, both as a person and an artist. But I thought he did enough in that in that time frame where, you know, he didn't really take a lot of things from people or, or anything like that. And I just thought he did enough to stay just above average. But again, all of these scores for the most part are really tough. The song score is tough because it's only one weak song, but he's losing almost a whole point for it. The impact score is tough because you're on songs with Tupac, but you only had one album and no one really knows who you are. The originality score is tough because how much can you really learn about a person from just 11 songs in one album? So these scores were tough to come to. It's definitely tough to to give a, a really accurate judgment on somebody that had that little of a body of work, but you add all those numbers up and you divide by five and you get a final score of 3.28, which leaves Little Nation in 122nd place of 128 artists done overall. I always like to address when somebody finishes this low because I don't want people to misconstrue that I'm saying that these people are terrible because that's not what I'm saying. You have some guys that got, you know, a six lyrically or something like that that are in like the bottom 10 because they had a couple of other areas that weren't so good. Maybe their originality or their impact or something like that. So I want to use the term best rapper or best MC very loosely because it depends on what you mean by best when you say best. And that's why we do different lists at the end of this show. Do you mean who's the best lyricist? Do you mean who's the best, uh, 
you know, who's this or who was the most impactful. That's the point of the study is I'm trying to include all of that and see who comes out on top. So, you know, every time somebody finishes really low like that, I, I just want to point out why it is and I want to differentiate between me placing somebody low and me saying that somebody sucks. Because again, there's a lot of people that didn't make the cut and there are even people that didn't make the cut that I wouldn't even say they sucked. There were certainly some people that didn't make the cut that absolutely sucked and that's why they didn't make the cut. But there was other people who I wouldn't say sucked that didn't make the cut and these people did make the cut. So I don't want to go out here and say, oh, 122nd of 128 guys, this guy sucked, this and that. Listen, man, when you, you know, with such a little body of work and an impact score like that of a four, you would have to be tremendous in all the other areas to even finish in the top half. So, and that that in itself is obviously very difficult to do because if you only have 11 songs, do you know how insane you would have to go on those 11 songs to get a really high score? You would have to destroy every single song to come up against some of these top lyricists that we have here in, in just 11 songs where you have guys like Jay-Z and stuff like that who have whatever it is, 15, 20 albums and they're murdering almost every verse. It's not fair to give those people the same lyrical score. So for me personally, I've enjoyed most of the songs that he was featured on. So shout out to Boss Hog. Not trying to shit on anybody here, but with an impact score like that, it's just really hard to overcome things like that. And he wasn't really given, or I guess I should say he didn't really give himself a fair chance to overcome things, but only have an 11 song. So moving on to Paris, who also had his debut album in 1990. His birth name is Oscar Jackson Jr., born October 29th, 1967 in San Francisco, California, United States. His genres are listed as political hip-hop and West Coast hip-hop, and his years active are listed as 1989 to present and I'm not going to say the exact same thing for that as I did for Little Nation because this dude definitely had more material than Little Nation. But again, it's the same thing with the present status. I, I don't know how much they've done recently to my knowledge, but it's probably just that they're alive and they're not officially retired. So they're listed as active. A little bit of background on a little bit of background on Paris. Oscar Jackson Jr., born October 29, 1967, better known by his stage name Paris, is an American rapper from San Francisco, California, known for his highly charged political and socially conscious lyrics. And now what I wrote about Paris when I was listening to him. I hadn't heard of Paris until reviewing Public Enemy and seeing that they had done an entire collaborative album with him. He was slightly above average lyrically and brought upon a West Coast political rap style with a similar message as Public Enemy, but in a totally different style. Lyrically, he was a bit inconsistent as most good bars seem to usually be followed shortly after by weaker ones, but he did rhyme a lot of words per bar on occasion. Paris was also a little more fundamental in his style as opposed to Chuck D and Professor Griff who were rather unorthodox. P dropped seven solo albums plus a collaborative album with Public Enemy. All eight of the albums were bordering good average. Paris dropped 105 songs throughout his career, and although none of them were great, five were good and none were weak. I was young for the majority of Paris's rap career and can't speak for the West Coast, but he certainly wasn't a common name around my parts. However, he did have influences on artists such as Fabulous, Ja Rule, and others. 
Paris wasn't overly standout as far as image was concerned, but when it came to music, he took your general West Coast style and added a unique political spin to it. So to take what I just said and put it into numbers, lyrics he gets a 5.5, albums he gets a 3.42 with zero classics, songs he gets a zero, there were no great songs, no weak songs, impact he gets a 5, originality he gets a 6. Add those five numbers up, you divide by five, you get a final score of 3.98, which leaves Paris in 95th place of 128 artists done overall. So you kind of see something a little bit similar here. Now, with lyrics for Little Nation, you got a four and a half, which is just under average. And then for lyrics with Paris, you got a five and a half, which is just above average. Then albums... Paris's score a little bit better, 3.42 as compared to 3.30. Songs, Little Nation is minus 0.91 and Paris is zero, so he picks up almost a whole point there. Same way he picked up a point in the lyrics category. Impact, Paris gets a five, Little Nation got a four, so again another point. And originality for Little Nation, five and a half, originality for Paris, six. Again, I'm not saying that to compare these guys, it's not a head-to-head -head comparison, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to point out to you how Little Nation finished in 122nd place of 128 artists done, which is obviously very low. There's only six guys that I've finished so far that are behind him right now, currently. There could be a lot more coming. I hope not, but there could be. <laughs> um, whereas Paris is in 95th place of 128 artists done, which again is definitely not great, but it's still almost 30 slots ahead of Little Nation. And the reason being that his scores are very similar. He really, on average, just beat out Little Nation by almost a point in every category. Maybe a half a point or a point in every category. So you can kind of see how things add up where he didn't really, he wasn't much better than Little Nation in any category. But they all added up to 30 slots. So it does matter. With 130 guys done, the margin for error is, is pretty small here. And it's not as dramatic as a half a point is going to move you 25 slots. And that's going to cause like a discrepancy with people. It's not anything like that. But again, when you're dealing with two, three decimal places like that, these little one point wins or half point wins and there's five of them, they, they add up and they could throw you 20, 30, 40 slots ahead of somebody who you really weren't that much better in any one category then. But again, 450, possibly 500 people being squeezed into a range from 0 to 10. You're going to have these things where these little differences in this guy, I mean, all right, yeah, okay, say you listen to him, all right, Paris and Little Nation, who was better, bro? I don't know, maybe... Maybe Paris by a little bit, right? Maybe that's what you say. Like, But then you look at the numbers and he's right now he's 30 slots ahead. And I'm about a third of the way through. So figure, you know, a mathematical average, he's going to wind up finishing around 90 spots. He's probably going to finish around 90 spots ahead of Little Nation by just beating him out by about a half a point or a point in each category. So everything counts here, man. Everything matters. Let's get into the list that we've been doing every week. We're doing a top 15% overall for the rest of the 90s, and a couple of things change here today. While neither of these artists in this episode cracked our top 15, 
This list moves from a top nine to a top 10 today as we're getting closer to more artists finish. And also someone I just completed and finished extremely high and pushed everyone back in the overall slot thing. So let's see who's where and which artist gets to make his way back into our top 15% overall. In our top slot, we still have Mr. KRS-One, who is in seventh place overall of 128 artists done. Behind him, we have Slick Rick, who's in ninth place of 128 artists done. Directly behind him, in 10th place, we have Rakim. Back in 13th place, we have Rev Run. Directly behind him in 14th is LL Cool J. Directly behind him in 15th is Everlast. Couple of slots back in 17 is Will Smith. And then DMC and Ice Cube are tied for 20th place. While Big Daddy Kane is in our last and final spot today. And he is in 23rd place of 128 artists done overall. So BDK slides his way back into this top list as we continue on in the 90s here. Now... Obviously, a big shout out to everybody that's in that top 15% still hanging on to a top spot in the middle of the golden era of hip-hop, but I really want to give a particular shout out to Big Daddy Kane because this has happened multiple times here where somebody finishes really high and Big Daddy Kane slides out or, you know, whatever the case is and... And it's all right. I mean, you know, Big Daddy Kane, for anybody that's a real, real hip-hop fan, I mean, Big Daddy Kane is a big name. So it's a little painful when you see guys like that kind of getting knocked out. But, I mean, this is probably the second or third time that he's made his made his way back in here. I believe, if I remember correctly, that Big Daddy Kane's uh, debut album was in 1986. I mean, don't quote me on that. I, I do have his facts and his statistics in his episode, but I, I don't always remember 100% of the things off the top of my head. But if I remember correctly, he came out in 1986. I mean, we're in the 1990s here now, and this guy pops back up. He's back in here. We're still saying his name. So I just want to give another shout out to Big Daddy Kane, a, a mid-80s artist who's hanging up there still. Um, let's get into our top 10% lyrically. Now, technically, this changes to a top seven today, but since we have a four-way tie for the last spot, seven artists were named last week anyway, and these names are going to stay the same this week. So in our top spot, lyrically, we have Master Ace, who got a seven and a half. Tied for second, we have KRS-One and Lord Finesse with scores of seven lyrically. And then in a four-way tie for fourth place, we have Will Smith, Rakim, Cool G, Rap, and Everlast. So... I tell you this every week, man, that, that that's my category. It's funny because depending on who asks me, like somebody, certain people will ask me to like recommend artists. And when, when somebody, I know somebody likes like some abstract shit, like maybe I recommend like ODB or MF Doom or, or something like that. Or if I know somebody, you know, really appreciates good lyrics and stuff like that, I'm not even looking at the final list, bro. I'm going directly to this shit right here. So if I got somebody that I know really appreciates good lyrist at, at this current point in time I'm talking about, and he asks me, yo, who from your study should I check out, bro? I'm going to probably tell him like those couple of people right there. Master Ace is probably going to be the first name I give him. So again, that, that that's my category, man. That's, that's the shit I really love when people really, really bring their A game lyrically. And if it's over dope beats, which is obviously all just personal preference, but... 
if it's over beats that I love and shit like that or samples that I love or whatever, that obviously makes it 10 times better. But the bar has got to be correct for me personally. So I always love hearing that list every week. Now, let's start dipping into some of our other lists that we talked about adding going forward. So last week I told you that we were going to add some new lists going forward. We're going to continue to add lists going forward, you know, a lot of the time. I don't want to say all the time, but at least every season we're going to wind up adding some sort of list at the end of the shows. And that's why I'm trying to keep the list small because I, you know, when we're at, when we're naming five or 10 lists, I don't want to be naming 150 people. So we're going to keep these lists to like top threes, top five. Some of them might only just be the top guy or the top girl or whatever. So... Let's dip into some of the lists that we talked about adding going forward, starting with our top five rappers to make their debut in the 80s. So your top five rappers from the 80s are number one, KRS-One, number two, Slick Rick, number three, Rakim, number four, Rev Run of Run DMC, and number five, LL Cool J. Now, on to our top five rappers to make their debut in the 90s. At number one, we have Everlast, number two, Lord Finesse, Number three, Master Ace. Number four, Q-Tip. And number five, K-Solo. Now, keep in mind when you listen to this list, we've only named about, I don't know, 10 people, give or take. So, I'm not I'm not trying to shit on any of these people named, but you only have to be in the top half of people to make this list right now. We're still only in 1990. We haven't even left 1990 yet, so... I would expect this list to probably change a lot. That 80s list should stay the same throughout for the most part. It is subject to change. It can change and it probably will change a little bit in some way, shape or form at some point, but it might not. And it's definitely not going to be on a weekly basis. The 90s list I would expect to change almost every week from here on out because there's only 10 people done. So I would expect somebody to finish in the top half almost every week from for a while here so as of right now those are your top five 90s artists that obviously all came out in 1990 so let's see who could stay there at the top of their respective decades and stuff like that and then obviously we have our our overall list as well but if you'd like to see any of the lists in full you can give the facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast and you can also visit the host site at www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. Both of those links are spelled completely normally. There's a donate button on the Anchor profile. I would really appreciate anybody hitting it. And I actually want to talk really quick about the money situation with this going forward. Because when I started doing this study, money was not involved in any way, shape, or form. It started with a list of like 25 names and I was just being random. Then I realized it was going to take me like a couple of months to get through the 25 names. And I was like, if you're going to sit here and spend a couple of months time doing this, why don't you just really do it? You know what I mean? Like, why don't you just make a thing out of this and really do it? Because you're going to, you're going to leave out people in that top 25 that really should be there for sure. There's no way that you're not going to fuck that up. And even if it's one guy, um, and it's crazy. I've spoke about this before. Black thought was not in my original top 25 people that I was going to study. And Black Thought was absolutely fucking remarkable. So it just goes to show you, I'm, I'm thankful that I decided to, to switch it up and to really dive into this and include as many people in this as I possibly could. But the point in me saying that all that is that when I finally decided 
that I was going to took because I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I was like three years into this study and I had no idea what I was going to do with the information that I was, that I was coming to. When I finally decided that I was going to make a podcast, I didn't decide to make the podcast to make money. I just wanted to make the podcast because I wanted this to be like a vault. I just want this to be here. So if anybody ever wonders or wants to know about somebody, listen, whether you give a shit where they finished or not, or whether you give a flying fuck about my critiques at all, really is not the point of the whole thing. The point of the whole thing is that we have something here where information is being given. Their names, where they're from, their genres, just all, you know, we're reading background information on these people. So information is being given on these people breakdowns are being given on these people, mathematical formulas are being applied to these people, they're being given an objective critique. There really aren't many mathematical objective critiques out there where nobody's opinion or nostalgia or personal preference or anything is in no way involved. So just the fact that it's there, maybe somebody just wants to hear, I've never heard of this dude, let me go listen to this 25 minute segment and you know, you're going to you're going to really know all you need to know that's going to tell you whether you would like to go forward in pursuing that person or not in my opinion from a very very objective standpoint. So, that's kind of the whole reason that I made this was that when I'm done with this study, this shit doesn't just go away. It's still here. Now, people are always going to be coming out with hip hop music, so it's it's going to need to be updated and I don't know whether I will continue to do that forever or not. I would say probably not. It's very, very tedious and time-consuming doing this. I, I do my best, and I, I do I do an okay enough job at it for me to continue going forward with this, but I can't say that I'm going to do it forever, but I am a sick individual, so it's possible that I just do this for the rest of my life. That being said, I won't be here one day, and then it will become, you know, not obsolete, because there's going to be plenty of people locked in that are either dead or haven't rapped in, in X amount of time or whatever the case is, so it's still going to be valid at least a good portion of it is still going to be very valid and it's still going to be a great starting point to pick up off of should anybody ever decide that they want to continue forward with this or like I said it could just sit there and be a vault so when I made the podcast that was the whole point of me making the podcast but it was just kind of thrown into my face while I mean here just you know there's ads you can put on your podcast and there's a donate button that you can put on your podcast and shit like that. And uh, as I started making it in the first season, I didn't really get too into the ads. I had a couple of opportunities to do it. I tried it once. didn't really work out the, the way that I wanted it to. And I kind of was like, hey, you know what? It's not what I made this for. I'm not, you know, I'm not really overly concerned about it. When we have the break and we come back for season two, maybe I'll figure out over the break how to get it done. And, I, and I'll add it to season two. But what I did want to do was I did want to add the donate button because I don't really want to put ads on here. So, you know, long story short, I didn't. I didn't do anything over the break from season one and two. The only things I did was gather more information and set up the upcoming season. But I didn't really figure out the whole thing with the ads. I know how to do it. But I didn't really figure out a way that I, I wanted to really go about doing it that I felt okay with. So... I want you guys to understand that I'm not putting ads in my show because I don't really want my show to be like that. I don't really want people to be like, oh my fucking God, here we go again with this fucking ad, you know, and there's three ads 
every 15 minutes or whatever the hell it is. I, I get it. Like, it's annoying. So I'm not going to put it there. So I'm just leaving that donate button up on the Anchor profile. And instead of me collecting, you know, money for each time you view my podcast because I have commercials on it, I would rather you guys just hit the donate button if you feel compelled to do so. Now, nobody could ever donate a dollar to me at all. And even if 10 people donate throughout the course of this and they all donate a dollar, that's $10 that I'll have made over the course of five to 10 years. So this is clearly not about the money. It's more so just a good gesture of like, yo, I threw you a dollar, you know what I'm saying? I cool, bro, I appreciate it, good looks. It kind of just motivates you to go forward, not for the money, but it shows you that somebody gives somewhat of a fuck about what you're doing. Because a lot of times when people do things, and I don't have a big audience for this, and I don't have a big audience for this on purpose. I could really push this a lot more. I could put ads on here. I could push this a lot. It's not really why I did it. And I feel that if it is that great of a mathematical formula and that great of a reference point, it'll get around. And people will start talking about like, Yo, well, where did this guy finish on your list? Just because they want to know. They want to know where where did their guy fit in in the, in the objective mathematical formula. So if it catches steam like that and it gets around and someone gets, you know, catches word of it and or the right person catches word of it and so on and so forth, then that's fine. Let it be. I'm not going to I'm not going to stop it from doing that, but I don't really want to add ads to my podcast and get it out everywhere to everybody. I know the people that I know that are listening to it. And I know the people that I know that, that care about what I'm doing in the sense that they're curious to see who finishes where, at least with certain people. You may not give a fuck about anybody except for a handful of guys that you like, or you might just be curious to hear some new guys that you've never heard of and I'm breaking them down for you and you're like, yo, it was interesting. I don't even know that dude. So I'm sure different people are listening for different reasons, but I just wanted to get that out of the way and explain why I have a donate button on my host site and why I talk about it every week and that's the reason why. So that is the end of episode five. Next week, we have Master P and Jizza. Now, this episode could very well be the most disparity we ever see in one episode with these two artists coming up. I'll give you that hint. So again... I'm not sure that, if you don't understand what I'm trying to say, I'm not sure that we see a bigger gap between two people covered in one episode than these two guys. I won't tell you where they finish or who finished where, but there's a huge gap in between these guys. Two dramatic finishes in the upcoming week, so peace out. Tell of the tapes.